Amen. And how worthy and majestic He is. And you know, it helps us to be reminded of that, doesn't it? I was just sitting there singing and giving thanks to God because when I look around and I see all the things going on in this world, it, it helps me to stop during these moments of praise and just declare His worthiness and His majesty and His greatness to know that somehow in the midst of all this, that He is still worthy. He is still majestic. And He gives us exactly what we need, even as we go through the test of the wilderness. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And we have recognized that some schools have started already. Some are about to start, whether it's a high school, elementary school, a university. There are so many questions that are out there. Now, I do know that at least in my household, most of my kids are kind of excited about the prospect of going back to school. That sounds crazy, but I think they kind of are ready to be able to have some social interaction. Now, I'm not sure that they are ready for the test that will go with that return to school. You know what I'm saying? Like, they want to see people, but I'm not sure they want to endure the test. Because tests come. Tests are part of school. Now, tests sometimes will help us understand the knowledge that we have, but also tests hopefully will help us grow in our understanding of the material that we're being tested on. Tests, they have a place. They have a purpose. And tests, they come not only in our academic life, but they also come in our spiritual life. When you look at Exodus chapter 15 and even Exodus chapter 16, you will see the people of God going through the test, through the test of the wilderness. And I want to show you that this morning. Look in verse 22 of that 15th chapter. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So here comes their first test. They don't have water. And notice that the test that they go through follows one of the greatest victories that they will ever know. Actually, they follow, it follows the parting of the Red Sea, the Exodus itself, which is the defining Old Testament event. So you had this great event, boom, and you go out into the wilderness, and then all of a sudden you experience need. You experience the lack of water. You experience a test. But that's often the way things go, like, all of a sudden, it's like, it's great. Something wonderful happens in life. You're on the mountaintop. And then within days, boom, you experience a valley. You experience a test. L let's put it like this. I've been trying to think, like, how, how could I explain this, like, in the context of Rustin? So let me try to put it like this. Let's say that you are on the Rustin Bearcat football team. You're on the football team. And hopefully and prayerfully, if everything goes well, we will be able to have some type of season. And this year, you and your Rustin Bearcat football team, you get to that Friday night where you face the unrighteous rebels of West Monroe. Okay? Yes. I knew all of a sudden we'd have a spiritual revival in this place. So you face them on that Friday night. And what happens? You win. You have a victory. I mean, it is incredible that there's a victory. The righteous have defeated the unrighteous. And there is all types of celebration afterwards. It's a celebration that has occurred unlike any other for, what, 20-something years. We celebrate 
that type of, cell, of, of that victory. So you do that, you go through the night, and then the next morning you, you remember you got to do what? You got to wake up and take the ACT test. Isn't that like a, isn't that terrible? Like, you know what? Your parents should have just left you asleep because of such victory. You didn't need a test the next morning after such victory. But when I read this, it's like, okay, Red Sea, boom, great victory. And then the next thing you know, a test has come in your life. And a test has come for the people of God. And it is a real test. There is no water. Three days into the wilderness, there is no water. You have basically two million people and all these animals and no water. That is an issue. It is an issue of survival, right? So I think I shared with you a few weeks ago that uh, during the quarantine, I started binge watching some stuff. And I've never been a binge watcher in my life. But all of a sudden, I got intrigued by these survival shows. And there's a survival show out there called Alone. I don't know if you've ever seen any of that. But it's something I'm actually trying out for soon uh, because I'm convinced I could do it. A hundred days in, like, the Arctic. I can make that happen because I'm smart. And I've watched the previous seven seasons, and I know what they did and what they needed, right? That's all you need to do. And one thing that you've got to do when you're in the wilderness, when you're in a forest, what do you got to do? You got to find your basic needs. You got to find, got to find water. Got to locate it. So here they are, two million people plus their animals, their herds. They're in the wilderness, no water. And here you have the first test. Well, they do find water. But notice it's not drinkable. Look in verse 23. It says, Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it is called Merah. So, undrinkable water. In verse 24, And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there, notice this, he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. So he says, here there's a test that is given. No water in the wilderness. It is a test of God. And what is the test? See, I think... As I understand this, as I hear this passage, it is a one-question test. And the question, this question is, will you listen to me? Will you listen to what I have to say to you? Will you call upon me? Will you cry for me? Will you want to even hear what I want to speak into your life? Notice in verse 26, he said, If you heed the voice, or if you give ear to his commandments... God's saying, just, just listen. This is a test. No water. Listen. Will you listen to God? See, part of the problem of listening to God is you have to remove all the distractions. You have to remove the background noise from time to time so that you can truly and clearly hear what He wants to say to you. 
Sometimes you just have to remove the stuff that is there preventing you from hearing. I mean, you've got the volume turned up so much that you can't hear what God is trying to say. The people of God, they were like that. The volume of what? The volume of complaining and grumbling. They had it turned up so high in their own lives that they could not hear God's voice. Oh, the Israelites, they were a people who were very gifted in the art of grumbling. They complained and they complained and they complained. Have you ever met people like that? I mean, they are just professional complainers. I see some friends who are visiting from Zachary and got some folks in the church that moved up here from Zachary, so I don't want to say a whole lot, but I remember finishing up a sermon there in Zachary one Sunday morning. I mean, I thought it was a wonderful sermon. And I had preached and preached, and this guy came up to me afterwards. And you know what he said to me? He said, Brother Reggie, I believe in spiritual gifts. That's what I had spoken of that morning. He said, I believe in spiritual gifts. He said, I really believe that God's given me the spiritual gift of criticism. I thought I'd preached a good message. I thought I'd been clear. But obviously I wasn't. He's given you the gift of criticism. Now, I will agree the guy was good at it. He could find some creative ways to be critical. He was, he was pretty awesome in that regard. I'm not sure that God gives us the gift of criticism. I'm not sure that God gives us a gift at complaining and grumbling. Oh, we have that gift. We can be talented and skilled in it. But I'm not sure that's directly from God himself. The people here, they complained. You see it in verse 24. You'll see it later in chapter 16. They just complained. God's saying, will you listen to me? And they're, they are complaining. I tell you that they are very gifted in it because I've read the book of Numbers. Now, the book of Numbers is named Numbers because it records a census. Actually, two of those uh, countings of the people of Israel. You see that. That's the reason it's called Numbers. I've always thought it should be called Numbers because it records the numbers of complaints that the people had offered to God. Because you will see them complaining all throughout the book of Numbers. When I was a youth minister and we would get prepared to go on a youth trip, I would go into the youth Sunday school class because we were a small church. We only had one youth Sunday school class. I would go into that youth Sunday school class and I would seek to prepare them for the trip. And the way I would prepare them for the trip is that I would take them through the book of Numbers. I would take them, for example, to Numbers chapter 11. And in Numbers chapter 11, you will read how the people complain that they don't have a steady diet of meat. And they want a regular diet of meat. So what does God do? God sends meat to them. He sends these quail to them. And as they are eating that meat, as they're eating the quail... Actually, it says that the meat begins to rot between their teeth. So I would take Numbers 11, and I would apply it to our trip. And I would tell the youth that if they complained about the diet that we had, the restaurants that we visited, you never know when God might take that piece of KFC and just rot it between your teeth. It's kind of bad, wasn't it? 
Well, if that wasn't bad enough, I would go over, I think, toward chapter 16. And chapter 16 records the rebellion of Korah. Remember Korah? Korah comes to Moses and to Aaron, and he basically says, Hey, guys, who elected you leader here? We would like to make some decisions. We don't know why it always falls to you to make these decisions. I, we think we ought to be involved in the decision-making. So they complain about Moses' leadership. Remember what happens to them? You think I'm making this stuff up. You need to know your Bible. Numbers chapter 16. It says that the earth opens up. The ground splits. And Korah and all of his followers fall into it. So I would look at those youth and I would say, listen, God did it then. He can do it again. You complain about the decisions on that church van. God may take the whole van and put it right down in the center of the earth. Now, I know it's bad. See, those were my pre-seminary days. I didn't take things in context like I should. But it worked. And all I cared about as a youth minister back then was, does it work? They didn't complain too much. But see, we complained. We complained. Listen, I'm going to tell you, sometimes we need to stop talking and start listening. We need to... Or if we're going to talk, at least not complain, let's cry out. The people were complaining. What does Moses do? Moses cries out to God and says, God, I need you. And so many times we just grumble and we complain. And, and he's saying, I want you to just listen to me. I want you just to hear me. This is a test. If you just listen, get, get that stuff out of your mind. Get that stuff out of your mouth so that you can hear what I want to say to you. Just heed. Listen, I probably shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. This morning, we have tried to honor our educators and administrators. We've tried to pray for the things that are happening in our school system. I hope we recognize the challenges, the difficulties, the decisions that teachers, administrators whether, again, it's in an elementary school, a middle school, a high school, or a university, there are a lot of decisions and challenges that face them right now. And I'm going to tell you, there, many of them are in no-win situations. I talked to a couple of leaders this week. They're in no-win situations. They don't want to be in this situation, but it seems like they're getting pressure from one side and the other side and complaints. And all you got to do is look at social media and see what's coming at them. Let me just say this to you. Let's not just pray for them on Sunday. Let's decide in our hearts and lives that we're not going to complain about them come Monday. And that instead of complaining about what's going on, that we actually pray. God, help them and be with them. Lord, help us to listen to you and stop complaining about everything that's going on in our lives. I remember the way Dr. Meeks put it some years ago. Dr. Meeks was my Bible teacher at Blue Mountain College. would walk across campus. We'd see Dr. Meeks. We'd say, Dr. Meeks, we got a pop test today? Dr. Meeks said, Reggie, you got a pop test every day. You know you got a test today. We always have a test in class. Oh, I guess so. He said, Reggie, I'll tell you what. You ought to save that breath. Don't ask me that question ever again. I said, you think so, Dr. Meeks? He said, save the breath for something a whole lot more beneficial. Because you know the answer. He said, don't ask me the question. Save that breath to pray that you'll do well on the pop test. You got a good point. 
I just wasted my breath when I could have used that breath for something more positive. I say to you that this week, let's be more positive with our breath. Instead of complaining, we pray. We want to listen. We stop. We say, God, we're not talking anymore. We want to hear from you. Will you listen to me? Will you heed me? They couldn't hear him because they were complaining. Also, we've got to not only get the, the distractions out, that background noise. We've got to develop the proper attitude. We've got to develop the proper posture in our hearts so that we can hear him like we should. Notice, he's like, if you diligently heed the voice, if you do what is right, give ear. You've got to be diligent you got to say, hey, I want to give ear. In other words, I want to be intentional to hear what God is saying to me. It's not just a haphazard kind of thing. Let's say, God, we want to hear from you. Again, Moses cried out, God, we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional in all your communication. Think about a husband-wife relationship for just a moment. When I do premarital counseling, I always speak about intentionality, especially when it comes to communication. You have to intentionally try to communicate. You have to intentionally try to listen. So for guys, like, let me just say to you, we're not always the best listeners. Would you agree? We're not always the best listeners. So that's the reason that sometimes we have to listen with what I call a third ear, that you have to give more intent more purpose on listening because things can distract us let's say that you're watching a major league baseball game yes baseball has returned at least in some form and when you get to watching that game you can you can get pretty zeroed in on that game or at least i can right this week uh rhett was watching a baseball game Ainsley came in my uh, eight-year-old came in and she said, oh, no, not sports again. And Rhett said, don't talk to me about this. We haven't had sports since March. It's time for us to watch sports every night of the week. And he gets so engrossed. And so many of us guys, we do that like we're watching it, that it's hard to hear from others, maybe even your wife, when she tries to talk to you. So say you're sitting there and you're watching the game, and all of a sudden your wife comes in. She had run by Super 1. You knew she was going. And she comes in. She says, hey, I'm back. Oh, good. Hey, yeah, I, I, I got everything. Oh, yeah, you did? Cool, cool. Hey, while I was leaving the parking lot, I actually had a little fender bender and hit somebody going out. Man, that's awesome. You think it doesn't happen. It happens because you're not purposeful in listening. You're not intentional. And God says, will you listen? This is a test. You have no water. I have put you in a situation where I want you to come to me and intentionally seek me and listen to me. And if you're going to listen, it's not only going to come from a good posture and attitude. It's going to come when you walk in obedience. Because listening and obedience go hand in hand when it comes to God can't just say, I want to intentionally hear. It's like God, I want to do. For example, in this, it says that Moses cries out and he hears from God. And what does he do? He obeys. He takes a tree. Now, how impossible this sounds, implausible even. He takes this tree 
and he throws it into the water as though the tree is going to make a difference. How many of you have done that before? Oh, I'll make this water drinkable, so I'll throw this branch into it to make it drinkable. That doesn't even make sense. Unless God's involved in it. And see, Moses obeys, and he throws it in, and the water is sweetened where they can drink. And then this is when God says, hey, I need you to follow my commands. I need you to do what I tell you to do. Listen to me. Will you listen? And if you're truly hearing, you're going to obey. You're going to follow me. So God will put you sometimes in a test to see if you will listen, if you'll eliminate the background noise, if you'll have the right attitude, and then if you will actually follow through with obedience. And look at what God says again. God says, if you'll do this, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians. Now, some people take that verse and all of a sudden they found their prosperity gospel. Ah, God says, if you just do this, everything will be good. You'll never be sick. Uh, you'll always be wealthy. That, that's not what the scripture says. That's not what the scripture says. This was specific for Israel. And what does he say? He says, I will not bring the plagues upon you that are brought upon Egypt. Why did he bring the plagues upon Egypt? Because Pharaoh would not listen. Right? He hardened his heart. He would not listen. And he was standing against the will of the God of Israel. And what he says is, if you will follow me and you'll, you'll be about my commands... I'm not going to bring such wrath and judgment as I did upon the Egyptians who refused to hear me. It was specific to that. But God does make a statement that you can take away. And that is when he says, for I am. Don't miss that. I am. For I am the Lord who heals you. Some translations will say Jehovah Rapha. That's the title of God. Yahweh Rapha. The one who would bring healing. I wish I could just camp out there for just a little while longer. Because how many times lately have you gone and prayed to Jehovah Rapha that he would bring healing lately? He is the one who would bring. But this is a test again. The test. Will you listen? In verse 27, they come to Elim where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters because God just going to take care of them here they are in the oasis now Elim is not a place you can stay though it's great to have the water and the oasis but you got to move on at some point so look in verse 1 of chapter 16 it says and they journeyed from Elim and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they move on, and now about a month passes since they left Egypt. That's what the first verse tells us. About a month had passed and there's not enough food 
They can't find a steady food supply for all of these people and all of these animals. They cannot find what they need to sustain them. So what do they do? I told you, they complain. They complain. Why have you brought us out here? All the days in Egypt. All the days in Egypt. It's amazing how we romanticize history and events sometimes. Like the good old days. Now I know a lot of y'all are younger. But you're going to get to the point you'll say, Oh, the good old days at Tech and Temple. And there's some people here, all oh, the good old days. It's amazing how we remember what we want to remember sometimes. Because you see what they remember. They say, oh, we were in Egypt. And we had full pots of meat. We had all kind of bread to eat. Yeah, I'm not sure it was quite like that. Don't forget, you were a slave in Egypt. You served other people. And yet here they are. Oh, it was so good. The good old days, most of the time the good old days are not as good as what you think they were. Or what you try to remember. But here they are, remembering those days. And here's the test. Look in verse 4 and verse 5. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may, see this, test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. This is the second test. Second test, it's only one question again. And that is the question from God, will you trust me? Will you trust me? See, the first test was, all right, you going to listen to me? Try and talk to you. Will you listen? And now this test is more of, will you trust me when you hear what I say? Will you trust me? Will you trust God when God says to you, I love you? Will you trust God when he says that? When you read through this, you'll see the word Lord, right? And it's all caps, which means it is a translation of the Hebrew Yahweh. Yahweh was the covenant name of God. It meant this is the way God had demonstrated himself to Israel as a people, and Israel had come into a relationship with him. This was a relationship. Actually, it was a love relationship. That God had entered into. So when we go through tests sometimes, what God is saying is, do you really believe I love you? Because, I mean, here he's going to take care of them. Verse 4 and verse 5, he says, I'm going to take care. But, but do you believe I love you? Do you really believe that? You know, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to believe that people really love us. Especially some of us come in here with baggage. Some of us in this place today have so much baggage because our dad said he loved us, but then he treated us in a way that was not appropriate. As a matter of fact, there have been moments where you saw a church member that said that they loved you, they were supposed to be a Christian, and then all of a sudden they acted in such a way that you doubt anybody's love. All of us come in with baggage. All of us come in with different expectations, sometimes great disappointments because of the way people have acted, those people that claim that they loved us. And because of that, we have trust issues with God. And sometimes it's hard to trust Him. But I say to you that when God enters into a relationship, 
you can always trust him and you can always know that he he sincerely loves you as a matter of fact he loved you before you even came into that relationship with him you know how i know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because in, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you get that? God loved you so much before you ever even knew him that he sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus, to die for you. He loved you that much. And if he loved you that much to send the best that he could offer, don't you know you can trust each day the love that he has for you? I mean, it's almost like God would look at his people and say, do you really think I would abandon you? Do you really think that I hate you that badly? Do you really think that I delivered you to bring you out into the wilderness to destroy you? Do you really think that? You can't just trust that I love you. You can't just trust that I've entered into covenant with you. And listen, today, can you trust that he loves you so much that he will not leave you or forsake you? He saved you because he loved you. Don't you know he's going to walk with you? Don't you know he's going to follow you? Don't you know he's going to lead you? Don't you know he's going to be all around you? Because he loves you. Trust him. Trust him when he says, I love you. Hey, trust him when he says, I can do this. I got this. I'm, I'm able to take care of you. He says it in verse 4 and verse 5, but look down in verse 11. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord. God says, I can do this. As a matter of fact, right now, I'm going to provide you some meat so that you can eat. You're going to have a good dinner. Look in verse 13. So it was that the quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. So all of a sudden, they don't have anything to eat. All these covey of quail, they come. And the people begin. Now, see, I try to imagine this kind of stuff. Here I am in the camp, and all of a sudden, the birds show up, these quail. Can you imagine, like, it doesn't say they show up dead. They fly in there, okay? So you got to catch them. Can you see these people like running around catching these quail and like, like, let's, let's, let's eat. I mean, it must have been a great celebration. But that was just the immediate meal. God had another plan. For the sufficiency of the people, for their nourishment, he's going to provide for them bread Every morning. God says, you can't rely on keto. Can't give you meat all the time. We're going to have to give you some carbs. In the morning, you're going to have some carbs. And this is what it says in verse 14. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance. As fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? But they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. They go out and they see these like little wafers on the ground. And they're like, what is this? Moses is like, this is what God wants you to eat. This is what God wants you to enjoy. Over in verse 31, it says that it was like a little wafer. 
and that it was sweet as honey because they didn't have refined sugar back then. They would use honey to sweeten things. It was like, it was sweet. So you did, it's like, it's like a little sweet cookie almost that you're eating. Every morning eating sweet cookies. They don't know what to call it. So they call it manna. Why do they call it manna? <laughs> well, according to, according to what we see here in this passage and also in verse 31, they call it manna because they don't know what it is. The question, what is it? You could translate it something in the Hebrew like manna. So they say, okay, we don't know what, we'll call it, what is it? This is before the Disney Imagineers showed up, okay? There wasn't a whole lot of creativity in the Israelite camp at this point. We just call it manna. What is it? What is it? And it sustains them for 40 years. Psalm 78 says that it's the angels' food that they eat. Isn't it awesome? Because God does what only God can do. God provides for them right in the middle of the wilderness. Because when God says that he can do something, you need to trust him that he can do it. He can do it. And listen, he can do anything in our lives right now. He has the ability. He has the power to act. And some of you right now, you have some needs, maybe financial. You have some needs when it comes to health. You have all kinds of needs. If God can take care of your eternal need by bringing Jesus Christ in this world, I guarantee you that God can take care of any other need that you would have right now. And if you've trusted him with your eternity, don't you know that you can trust him with your here and now? If you said, God, I believe you that you sent Jesus Christ to die for me and my whole eternity is wound up in you and you have trusted him for that, don't you know he can trust, you can trust him to work out this stuff we're in these days? Because you can trust him. He can't. He's the one that can provide manna from heaven. He's the one that can provide. Let me give you this last. Trust him when he says, I will do this. When God gives you his promise, says, this is what I'm going to do, you trust him to do it. Uh, look at this last set here in Exodus 16. It says, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. And they measured it out, and it was just right. When God says he will do it, you trust him to do it. And you trust him to do it daily. See how he's testing them? His test will be, will you trust me to provide for you daily? That's the lesson of the manna. Because they will go out and they'll gather up. They'll bring back. They'll begin to look at who gathered what. And it always seemed to work out that people had exactly what they needed. What they needed. Now remember, God had told them Moses will... Also instruct them later on, only gather enough for the day. Don't try to gather for tomorrow. Don't try to get so much. Now, come the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, yes, you can get two days worth. But otherwise, just get a day's worth. That's all you need because you need to trust me that I'm going to provide for you daily. Well, there were some people that didn't listen. There were some knuckleheads that decided they wanted to get more just, they went out and they started gathering those knuckleheads. We call them deacons today. They went out and they didn't listen to God and they gathered what they were extra. And you know what happened? Just as God said, 
The food rotted that night. It wasn't good the next day. Because God was trying to show them, you depend upon me, you trust me when I say I can, and you trust me when I say I will, that I will provide for you daily. You trust me. You need to trust him to provide for your daily needs. You and I need to pray sometimes, just as Jesus taught us. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh God, you're good to us. Those of you who are watching, you know how good. You can look around your house maybe. Those of us who are here, look around. God's good to us. I mean, he's given us sometimes much more than our daily needs. But I'll tell you this, he'll always give us our daily needs. He'll always take care of us. He'll always provide for us. Later, Moses will say in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he'll say, God brought you out. This was 40 years. God said, he brought you out so he could humble you in this and test you and allow you to hunger. And he's fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He says, you know the reason that God really brought you out was to teach you dependence upon Him every day. Let me ask you, are you dependent upon Him? Do you trust Him? Will you trust Him? Even in some of the most turbulent times of your life, your family's life, will you trust Him? Now let me just say that the people of Israel, they failed the test many times. Again, all you got to do is just read through the wilderness wanderings. They failed the test many times. A lot of times they won't listen. A lot of times they won't trust. And there's a failure through those 40 years. But when I look over into the New Testament, I go to like Matthew chapter 4. And I see this one, Jesus, who also goes into the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness after the parting of the water through his baptism. He goes into the wilderness, and you know what the Bible says? He's tested for 40 days. He's tested. It says in the end that it culminates in Satan saying, Hey, can you turn stone into bread? And then Satan coming to him and saying, Hey, why don't you throw yourself down, and the angels will save you, and you, everybody will know you're the Messiah. You won't have to go to the cross. Or maybe Satan will say, Worship me. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus succeeds where Israel failed. Because Jesus came to live a perfect, sinless life so that you and I would have power to, to truly face the test and to face the test victoriously. And how ironic is this? In the New Testament, Jesus is called what? The living water and the bread of life. He is the water. And he is also the manna from heaven because he is the perfect one that provides for us, that gives us every day what we desperately need spiritually and even physically, emotionally, and mentally. So let me ask this. Right now as we go through these days of the wilderness, is God testing you? And is he testing you in the same fashion as he did his people of old? Has he offered this question to you? Will you listen to me? Will you listen? Has he asked you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? 
My friends, through the work and the peace of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit, you and I can meet those tests. And we can answer, yes, Lord, we want to listen. Yes, Lord, we trust you with everything we have. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and God, thank you for your word and uh, thank you for speaking to us. And God, right now, I pray that we would be people who would eliminate the distractions, even our own voices, God. Help us to be quiet so we can hear you. God, help us to trust. Right now, Lord, there is fear that is seemingly defeating people around us. It's consuming people. May we trust you. May we trust you with our souls, but may we trust you with our physical bodies, with our minds, with our hearts. May we be people who would give ourselves wholly to you. We pray it now.